You're listening to the Lit Review Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Monica Trinidad, and today we're talking with a New Yorker. Today we're talking with Hina Sharma, a queer South Asian organizer with the New York chapter of Survived and Punished. Uh, And Survived and Punished is an organization that focuses on prison abolition and supporting criminalized survivors of gender violence. And as you can already tell from our last few episodes, we've been branching outside of Chicago with our guests this season just a little bit, but we're going to bring it back to home base uh, when we close out this season. And actually, before we get into what we loved about this conversation and what um, and talking about the book that Hina chose, Survived and Punished is very much rooted in Chicago. Uh, Love and Protect is one of the affiliate groups of Survived and Punished New York and one of the founding groups of Survived and Punished National back when it was still called the Chicago Alliance to Free Marissa Alexander. Paige and I supported that together in various ways. Marissa Alexander is free and, and is doing well. Uh, shout out to Miriam Kaba for all of her foundational work in just propelling so many of these efforts and for letting Paige and I support. Um, and it feels like a lifetime ago, but it really brings me so much joy to just see how this work has continued and evolved. Yeah. Paige, how are you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you as well, as always. And I'm doing okay. I'm doing well, actually. Just getting to revisit these conversations. It's I, I, I appreciate this. I'm glad that you all are listening. And I selfishly love this process of just having these initial conversations and then getting to revisit them in such an intentional way to do something as simple as, you know, get an intro ready. It's, I like coming back to these, these ideas. Yeah. So I'm doing great and really grateful and it's good to see your face as always. So let's talk about this really incredible conversation with Hina. Hina chose to talk about uh, the book Care Work, Dreaming Disability Justice by Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samarasina. And it's one of those books that I have on or near my desk at all times. Actually, it's right in front of me right now. And if you find yourself still struggling with understanding how disability justice intersects in your life, or if you're like me and you're still grappling with acknowledging your own disabilities, or if you're looking to just get a really quick rundown on disability justice lineages and principles, like this book is for you and this, and this conversation is for you. There's these principles of disability justice that we can look to for guidance, but also we just really emphasized how disability justice and, and access are a constant process. There's never, you've, you've reached access, check mark, here we go, we've done right. it. And I think that that speaks to me how much abolition is an experiment. Abolition is figuring out these, you know, what are our next steps? What, what kind of world do we want? And as much as we want to see the ends of things like prisons and policing and uh, and war, I think we also, you know, especially artists and cultural workers and organizers, we also have to envision what we want the world to be and to look like. And we won't have this one solid answer, right? It's going to look different for so many different people and so many different communities. And disability justice really informs um, how we move forward in that work. So I really love this conversation. Um, and what did you think of this conversation, Paige? <laughs> Yes, yes, to all of that that you just shared. And I think, I mean, you, you, I think shared 
all of the the jewels, right, of, of what, what Hina had to share in this conversation, what this book is offering. And it is probably the number one book that I – of all the books I haven't read from the Lit Review that we've talked about. And I say this every time. Like, I got to get that – I got to get this book. Also, if you're new to this podcast and you hear that it's, you know, a podcast about books, it's a great example of how, yes, and it's not necessarily dissecting and doing this, you know, deep literary analysis by any stretch. It's really about the person that we're talking to and and using the book as a way to talk about uh, a moment in their life when they picked it up and how it changed them after, right? And and uh, and whether or not that is actually what the author intended is a question mark, That and that's fine. I think this was just like a perfect conversation with this person that I've never met, but it was so charming. Like, Hina's amazing. And all the things that you shared earlier, Monica, about the things that we talked about are there. Yeah, definitely, please, please, please listen to this one all the way through. I think one of my favorite parts that really touched me, and I – will continue to think about that moment for a long time was Hina at the very beginning when introducing herself was like, um, I think I was starting to think of myself as a disabled person. I'm someone with chronic mental illness. I think that was a whole journey and is still a journey. Like, am I disabled enough? Am I sick? Whatever those things mean. Or it, and I, it's like kind of cutting herself off. And she said, is, is not being able to get out of bed because I'm depressed. And I wouldn't say that to anyone else, right? And at that moment where I, I'm not sure if folks were able to follow as I was reading that quote, but it's this moment where Hina is, showing and talking about the differences of how we navigate it for ourselves and others and the expectations we put on ourselves and like unnecessary you're not disabled enough with air quotes right um and that's just something that I think about with myself and just like all the ways that I tell myself that I'm not enough to participate in something um or to think about something or to, to need something or to say that I have a need and so yeah that I that I that moment of just how human and raw and real that was I think is a good example of this conversation thank you for sharing all of that page uh and before we dive into the episode, I wanted to just briefly uh, just bring some of the names into the room, some of the disability justice organizers and um, elders and, and folks that have really shaped this work um, in so many ways. Um, I know Leah names Stacey Milburn, Rest in Power. Leah names Leroy Moore, Cyrie uh, Gerald Johnson, Patty Byrne, Aurora Levins Morales, Elliot Fukui, Mia Mingus, Kai, Chang, Tom, so, there's so many names in here, and I, I really encourage everybody to, to get this book if you haven't picked it up already. Um, and so with that, I want to introduce you to our conversation with Hina Sharma on Care Work, Dreaming Disability Justice by Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samarasina. You're listening to the Lit Review Podcast. We're your hosts, Paige May and Monica Trinidad. I think it's essential for people to learn together in order to be able to understand what we're up against. We must disrupt, we must disobey, we must agitate, we must escalate, we must break, we must create, we must abolish, we must transform. I remember it. She was shocked by my health. In sharing our ideas, we're stronger. 
Welcome to Chicago, this is home for most. This is the home of the wealthy making cameos. This is the house of the heartless, the home of the cold. Man, my dog is more acknowledgement than home. We're so excited to be here with Hina Sharma, an organizer with the New York chapter of Survived and Punished, to talk about the book Care Work, Dreaming Disability Justice by Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samarasina. How are you doing, Hina? I'm great. I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad that the universe is finally letting us have this conversation. You know, something about today is meant to be. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So Hina, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? What do you do? And why do you do it? Sure. Um, I am a facilitator, educator, organizer. Um, Although I have more and more like qualms confusion about what organizer means these days especially because I feel like it's another term that's just like used all the time and I've been uh doing work with survived and punished New York for a few years um and prior to that I did work um in a with Audrey Lord project um in New York a QT Pac uh organizing space um that was the space where I first learned about um, disability justice, healing justice. Um, but, but my like knowledge and experience of that has shifted over the years. Um, yeah, and why do I do this stuff? Uh, you know, I wonder that every day. <laughs> um, as I sign up for things, try to make a when to meet, I'm like, what is the point of any of this? <laughs> um, but no, like I think... Uh, I feel like I first just started doing more, um, you know, political youth work um, in like college and shortly after college. I am a South Asian queer person who grew up in Staten Island, which is like, you know, a wild ride in itself. That could be its own podcast episode. (laughs) Um, But, you know, and just like thinking about like the systems of like, immigration how it affected my family um and yeah and then like as I grew more politicized and radicalized about like you know like even noticing things that I had grown up with that started to have like language for it you know like like for instance like psych incarceration um and and policing has been part of like my family um experience and and I was like primarily drawn to working with young people and youth and I know that's something that y'all are familiar with um because I'm just like you know like I I don't believe in like paternalism and like you know this kind of like passing down of knowledge as though there's like experts from like adults or something um so I think like I think and I also have seen like how much like youth are just treated that way um or they're expected to be like the saviors of everybody Mm -hmm. like by themselves alone Mm -hmm. um you know we see that with like climate change discourse a lot um so yeah, I think like that's kind of the stuff that's been on my mind and like drove me to like do more and more political things. And as I like became more um, confident and comfortable with my different identities, um, uh, like wanting to engage more in like queer organizing, QTPAC organizing, um, you know, seeing how like black folks, brown folks are. Um, specifically targeted for all kinds of different incarceration and how much um like mental health and healing is not part of that conversation like even if people understand like police violence violence in prisons like there's not as much of a focus on like okay what do you do 
if you do survive that like what does survival mean um really like is it just you know like and obviously so many people do not even survive of just those experiences but like how could we actually build um nourishing and rejuvenating communities for people um that was kind of a lot of different things i hope i'm an aquarius so i'm kind of like so if i go a little off the walls please feel free to bring me back i was right there with you i love it thank you it's always so interesting to hear sort of this how why people do what they do and i I think it's fair to say a pretty consistent theme is it's not a simple reason. Um, and it, it, I mean, at the end of it's because we love people, right? And we want our, and we love ourselves and we want us to survive. But I really, really appreciated hearing that and what you were saying about your work with young people. And yeah, just that, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, that thank you for your story. I thought, I thought that was really interesting. And I'm wondering, the book that we're going to be talking about today is actually Care Work, Dreaming Disability Justice. And this came out in 2018. And so not too long ago. So can you tell us more about the story of what led you to read it? What was going on for you? What, yeah, what, what were you up to at that time? Sure. Um, I think for me, I was, I think like as I was starting to think of myself as a disabled person, um, someone with chronic mental illness. Um, like I think like I, that was a whole journey from, and it's still a journey, you know, like, you know, a lot of, uh, like, am I disabled enough? Am I like sick? Like whatever these things mean, or, you know, like is, um, is like not being able to get out of bed cause I'm depressed. Like, like and I wouldn't say that to anyone else right it's like specific like standards just for myself um which are like impossible to achieve um but yeah I think uh as I like was starting to like really think of like how my experience is like connected to other like political struggles and organizing um and like how so many people have that and like it's like you know also so varied um uh yeah and I, I think I think as also like my um like being in community with disabled folks like also as that grew I think I just really wanted to um read this book I was very excited about it I also had um followed uh Leia Lakshmi's writing for years um I remember seeing them read once at the Asian American Writers Workshop in New York but yeah I had been a fan of uh Leia Lakshmi's work for a while I read her um memoir uh Dirty River I don't know if y'all are familiar with it but that was like my first time reading um an account of someone who's like grappling with being a queer South Asian survivor and specifically survivor of incest, right? Which is like particularly never spoken about. Um, and who like doesn't believe in prison, is an abolitionist and it's just like sharing her journey and like also like really framing um, her family and her experiences with a lot of humanity, right? So it, it wasn't even like, it's like she, she was like, she knew that she had value and that that's what she was striving for, but also wasn't trying to discount like the different kinds of like systemic violence her family has experienced um, over the generations. Um, but yeah, so that was like also made a huge impact on me. And so I was like, okay, so now going to disability justice, I really wanna um, learn more. And 
you know, and then I revisited the book um, when the pandemic started. <laughs> um, I shouldn't be laughing. I don't know why I'm laughing. Like, it's Do not, not cry. <laughs> Um, laughing to not cry exactly (laughs) yeah yeah just like thinking about like what it means to be living in the time of like these mass disabling events and like event is even not even the right word um but just like thinking about so much like internalized ableism that folks have and like long COVID like it just feels like there's so many connections um and such a need for people to dive more into disability justice and not a kind of like whitewashed like liberal version of it um but like the more radical roots of it absolutely and something that also is parallel for this podcast and this book is that this book was written as a tool you know for surviving under trump right and and that was the same reason why we started this podcast it came out of an organizing strategy of like particularly how do we how do we continue to do political education with everybody as we are in the streets and as we are you know organizing on all fronts and so i liked that i liked that parallel of of this book and this podcast and this book is just such a necessary intervention, I think. And for many, like many of the things you just named, Hina, and I mean, this book is like a manifesto. It's like, it's 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 broken up into essays. And so you can like pick it up and put it down all the time, which is something that I'm always doing with it. And it really was sick. It, 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 Leah is emphasizing how sick and disabled people, how queer and trans and black and brown people were sounding these alarms, you know, and and sharing their knowledge of sort of how do you survive fascism? How do you survive ableism? How do you survive climate chaos? It's like, and, you know, when I picked up this book, again, also at the beginning of the pandemic, I was just seeing the ways that history is like repeating itself with not listening to disabled organizers and not hearing the ways that they know how to survive all of these things because they do it every day. And now we are facing this pandemic. We're like, what do we, a lot of able-bodied people are like, what do we do? How do we, masks, what? And they're like, KN95s. Like it was just like so very much net like, I'm just very thankful for this book. And I'm really thankful that we're talking about care more now. We're talking about collective access more now. We're talking about crip lineages and crip futures. And I think, you know, so I'm just thinking a lot about how, I mean, one, where all of us are at right now, right? Like, Hina, you're in bed right now recording this episode. I'm at my desk pages at the foot of her bed you know like recording this episode and so we're all in and we're all in different places right pages on the opposite end of the the city from where I am Hina you're in New York and then we're here virtually like like managing all of this tech and making this conversation happen and I feel like that is like the that is like the foundation of like how we can show up at in the capacity that works for us. And so all of that to say, can you talk to us about 
why you chose this book in particular to talk about today. Thank you for that. I'm just, yeah, I'm thinking so much about what you just shared and um, even like, yeah, I'm just like really sitting with it. I'm sorry. Um, But yeah, like the thing that you mentioned about like us being in our beds and like all these things and uh, just like even like the framework of how to think about things, you know, like what we, what you were mentioning about what like disabled folks had to offer when the pandemic started, like even like the idea of like community care and like, oh, like what are the needs of the most vulnerable people? Like that matters. So I just wanted to add that. Um, but yeah, why I wanted to use this particular book, um, you know, like I shared, like, because I had already been following, um, Leah's work and and also just the idea like this book itself is a compilation like you mentioned of um, essays that they've written in the past um, new essays uh, interviews and just like the fact that you like even the book itself is like kind of modeling how we can share knowledge with each other you know Um, and you know like like uh, Leah talks about in like the beginning of the book how yeah, she spent so much time writing this book on her phone, on buses, like in her bed, like, you know, all these things. And that she really was like, I'm not like going to be able to speak in like an academic theoretical kind of way. Like, just like, this is just like my, like what my experiences are. And I want to be accessible with my language. And I know that's something that, you know, y'all, that's like the structure of y'all's podcast as well. Right. Um, And something I think about a lot, too. Um, so I just really appreciated how, um, yeah, it's like not like theory heavy. It's not like, um, and even like the way that she talks about it, it's like in the very beginning, she's like, I'm not like the sole voice on this. I've learned a lot from other people. Like the fact that she like cites like the lineages that have come before her, um, and how much impact she's had from other people, um. And and that she she's aware of like her privilege, right, and being able to get this published with this um publisher, and she's like, this is like she like wants there to be more and more people to be able to share things, right? Um, so I just really appreciated her like naming those things, um, and and just like the fact that she even frames the book that way. So I just was like, oh, I really want to explore this, uh, um book and like the fact that she also highlights like femmes of color queer femmes of color and like what um like their contributions have been to our movements um and and how much they're vulnerable right um so I think that particular um frame uh like not everyone talks about that and so I just like really appreciate it um wanting to talk about it with y'all yeah yeah and I think I'm the odd one out of I haven't read this book and um so I'm piecing this together which is great because that means it's nice having one person here who hasn't heard it because then I'll have lots of questions and so I have sort of the big question of just okay so what's it about but more to, to add more to it what I've pieced together so far is it sounds like it's um a a, a book that is part intervention, part manifesto, part memoir, and maybe part like how to guide. And, uh, and it's a collection of essays, which sometimes makes it hard to summarize because I don't know if there's very different themes throughout. So 
I am curious some immediate questions I have within that what is this book about is, you know, what what's Leah's story? What's her journey or their journey? Um, and then what um, – what, yeah, what what are they trying to share? What's What are the, the gems from this? Uh, very uh, important questions. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is what takes us, at, you know, anywhere from 30 minutes to the rest of your life to answer. So go for it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think you're right that it is hard to kind of, you know, concisely summarize this book. Um, but yeah, I think she she starts off with like kind of sharing a little bit about her story and you know she's from Toronto and and her journey to moving to Oakland which is where she really um you know was I mean she was in like a disabled queer community in Toronto as well but I think in Oakland like it was just like a next um phase of her life especially because Toronto was like the site of a lot of like violence in her past and like all these things um But yeah, so she kind of shares that. um, But then she really just, you know, starts to talk about um, like the Disability Justice Collective in 2005 that was formed. um, And they were the folks who coined disability justice as a term, right? So this is Patty Byrne, Mia Mingus, Leroy Moore, um, Eli Clare, Sebastian Margaret. um, And they're all... uh, disabled, queer, trans, black, Asian, um, uh, and maybe a few white people, like white activists and artists. Um, and, and, you know, and like the, their connection with like Sins Invalid, which is still um, in existence and flourishing, uh, like which is a disability justice performance collective that was also co-created by uh, Patty Byrne and Leroy Moore. Um, and... Like, I, I just love that she even just, like, names all these folks because she's like, I want people to know who came up with these ideas, right? And and not even, like, you know, obviously these ideas have been around, but, like, who coined the terms, um, really trying to acknowledge, like, how easy it is to, like, co-opt um, different concepts, especially from uh, QT BIPOC folks. Um, and so just, like, really wanting to honor that. Um and she includes uh, the 10 principles of DJ. I don't know. Would it be helpful for me to yes. go over them? Yes, please. Real quick. <laughs> so this is an oft-cited thing from Sins Invalid, um, which, Paige, I encourage you to check out. Maybe you already know it. <laughs> You're like, all the no, things. I'm here yes, to learn. Yes, no. yes. <laughs> so, so these are, like, kind of, like, the main principles of DJ, which, again, is, like, you know... Like part of the whole idea is also that these things are fluid, they're co-created, things are changing, um, people are adding things all the time. Um, but the 10 principles are, so one is intersectionality, you know, interlocking systems of oppression, um, leadership of mo- the most impacted, so really like, you know, like not being led by able people, right? Like what are, and even within disabled communities, right, there's all kinds of different power dynamics and um hierarchies based on like what kind of disability people have um obviously like if you're black and disabled it's different and you're more vulnerable to the police you know like all these kinds of things so just like thinking about that um then the next one is anti-capitalist uh you know so just like how ableism is so intrinsically connected to um labor white supremacy logics like how can we extract like these things from folks right and 
what does it mean if you're disabled and you can't really be quote unquote productive in certain ways? Um, and so how you can't be about disability justice if you're like, yeah, corporations are people. Like, what is, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. Like, I don't know. The next one is sustainability, right? So really thinking about how are we making spaces that won't burn us out, that won't um, leave people out, that like can be like continuing, can be caring, um, nourishing, you know? Um, and, you know, I think sometimes people say sustainability a lot without really thinking about, okay, who is not in your space right now? You know, like um, thinking about who's not even considered valuable enough to be like part of that conversation, right? Um, and there's commitment to cross-disability solidarity, right? So, you know, um, it's like solidarity between like folks with like mental, physical, um, and this is stuff again that I, I'm like just to affirm, like assert, whatever, one of those words. <laughs> I am very much a beginner of this work and I was nervous to come on because I'm like, I'm not an expert on this. People shouldn't think of me as an expert. So I'm just here like sharing what I can. Um, but yeah, so there's like a lot to be said about what cross-disability solidarity can look like and what are like the barriers, right? Which is like very um, tied with like what people consider like, you know, like the internalized ableism that's like, oh, this is worse than others, or this is like visible and not visible, like all these kinds of things, right? Especially as they interplay with um, race and class and gender. I want to hear the rest of the list, but that's been, as we've been talking, I've been thinking just sort of the, the, the word choice, uh, you know, able to do what, you know, and who defines that and, and, and under what conditions, right? And And I do think it means something very specific. That's not to say that like, Everyone has a disability. I'm not try suggesting or trying to say that, but just, yeah, all, all of these things are constructs, right? They're real, but they're also not. Like, yeah, it's because of the way that we have built the world um, and how beautiful would it be if we built a world that everyone was able to do the things that they needed. We'd have so many more cool things mm. going on. So anyways, yes, yes, go for it. Yes. Continue. I think you were yes. on number six or so. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the next one is collective access. So again, what we kind of were talking about earlier, like what are the needs of all of our folks, you know? Um, like how can, um, like how can it also be considered like acts of love and care, which I think is also a Mia Mingus um, uh, framing. Um, and yeah, like not as like a burden or like all these things, but actually when like all of our people can like, feel like they are valued regardless of what they can like produce like like what what kind of world would that be like what you were saying Paige um and then the and then the last one is collective liberation uh so you know thinking about um yeah like I know there's a lot of work um that folks have been doing with like black disabled folks who are incarcerated right um different people um psych incarceration right like how often that's like not included in um prison abolition like kind of like conversations um but like how important that is too right like and that it's so ingrained right like you know if someone mentions someone has schizophrenia bipolar or is like violent with the mental illness like we see like people getting killed by police we see people um getting institutionalized um and so really like this is not just 
like like this like this is everywhere right like we have to just think about um disability justice and all of the kinds of organizing and movement work people are doing it's not like its own kind of thing it has to be deeply enmeshed in everything um because it's present because ableism is present everywhere that's right that was the 10 i was (laughs) (laughs) i think that was only seven was that seven Uh, i counted seven i was following along i think we skipped two oh i did uh cross movement solidarity Oh, I oh, skipped to recognizing wholeness. You don't want to recognize wholeness, <laughs> eh, who, who you don't wholeness I Hina? <laughs> yeah, recognizing wholeness. So like, the, yeah, like kind of the idea that, um, yeah, that people are not just their disability, not just like what they can offer, um, that they're whole, that they're messy. They're not going to be some magical kind of savior. They're not someone who's, um, you know, kind of like like someone who just has like all this like wisdom, but like can't be wrong. You know, like really the idea of like not treating people as symbols um, in any kind of way, but like how can we just see people as humans? I'm glad we. I'm glad that was said. Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and but the way you said that that was that if any if you yeah y'all that are listening let's write that one down. Let's quote that. Mm -hmm. yes if you're writing it down recognizing wholeness and I think that leads into my next question that I have for you Um, one of my favorite essays and I would love to hear what one of your favorite essays is as well but one of my favorite essays is the the it's on page if for folks that are that have the book and are following along during this episode uh, it's in the chapter on cripping the apocalypse uh, and the the section is on the crip art of failure and I think that chapter for me really has shaped how I move through my organizing work now because what Leah is sharing right is is how recently in this chapter recently on a conference call a totally well-meaning able-bodied person asked me we just have one question what is disability justice like how do we do it and the answer that Leah had was so encompassing of how I feel like I've moved in organizing spaces but have felt uh, like I wasn't doing it right or I wasn't good enough because she says you won't meet your benchmarks, people will be really slow, people will be late, people are going to be sick. Um, It looks like what able-bodied people see as failure. And that, for me, it really informed like wow I I'm I am I am not a failure but I've seen myself as a failure in this in this work a lot because even even when it comes to this podcast right like it's been a year since our last season and that's because we moved slow and that's because we were really going through it in different parts of our lives and we're doing it at a pace that works for us. And if that doesn't work for other people, and if other people see that as like, oh, they're not a good podcast because they're not like releasing an episode like every week, then fuck that. Then that's not the work I want to do. You know, like that, that doesn't, that is not how I want us to move in this world because that's not sustainable. And if we're moving at an unsustainable pace, then what are we even, then what are we even doing? What are we even, uh, um, how are we even creating and building a world that is for all people if the if the ways that we're doing it are not for all people? So 
just wanted to say that was my favorite uh, part of this book and would love to hear your thoughts on it. And uh, yeah, I would just love to hear your thoughts on it. I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah. No, thank you for bringing that chapter up. It's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm like thinking about too, like, you know, there's just like no cookie cutter. There's no shortcut to disability justice, right? Like, I think that's what Leah's really just emphasizing that, you know, it's about building relationships over time. It's about not being perfect, letting go of perfectionism, which we know is a white supremacist thing anyway. Um, and which, you know, I struggle with myself, <laughs> um, but it's it's hard. And, um, and like, I think about, you know, because of like my work with young people, like, and I'm an educator and like, I'm sure like page teachers can all like see this too. Like when you're working with students, right? Like it's, it's, uh, you can't have like some kind of like all like fits all type model for how you're going to, um, work with folks, right? Like you, there's like with, with like students, it's always like, oh, individualized attention and model like based on how they can learn and not like forcing them to fit into, um, preconceived like common core type bullshit you know um and uh yeah and I, I think about this too and I think yeah like I, I was just like seeing in that same chapter how she's also like saying that like it's like too messy and wild to fit into like nonprofit industrial complex structures right and just like really naming that and how um like like it's not gonna be easy to fit into like your work plan or like whatever, or even just like those frames that are like are missing the point. Like it's like, uh, you know, I think about um, like land acknowledgements, right? And like the kind of like uh, um, just like lip service people pay to be like, okay, I did this thing. I asked about access needs. I asked if there's, uh, you know, wheelchair um, accessibility. I did the thing. I'm good now, you know? And like people don't like go deeper. Like because like they're like, "Oh, I don't have to because it's like if my if I'm just appearing to be in a certain way and getting like clout and attention for that, then like I don't have to go deeper." But it's like if you're actually wanting to shift um uh like the conditions that folks are living in, like shift your organizing spaces, like all these things, like it's going to be much more difficult than that, right? And involve um, uh, relationship building, community efforts, um, slow and messy things and like people trying stuff, you know, um, I think about, uh, I think it's interrupting criminalization that has like the 1 million experiments, uh, thing that maybe folks are familiar with. And, um, it's like a compilation, like people can like submit, uh, uh, their projects and collectives to that where it's like keeping track of just like different experiments people are doing um, uh, to build like abolitionist structures, spaces, care, like care work, community care, like all these kinds of things. Um, and that, uh, yeah, like there's no like how-to guide that's like, okay, I did it. Like, you know, like I think like even the 10 principles, it's like not like the 10 commandments, you know, it's like, it's like things that are not etched in stone. It's like stuff that like is going to be evolving, like, you know, um, uh, like uh, a black disabled organizer and attorney, um, Talila Lewis, uh, T.L. Lewis, uh, 
they, I think, have, like, been, um, ev- like, coming up with evolved definitions of ableism, right? Like, they're f- focused on even, like, Black disabled communities. Um, so it's, like, these things are currently happening, right? Like, disabled folks um, are, like, building on these definitions and all these things. So then, of course, how can you have, like, some kind of model to that, like, fits every situation? Um, yeah, so I just really appreciate that, too. And I hear you, Monica, like, it's hard to... Uh, you're like, oh, like, it's so ingrained in us to, like, be, like, how, what does it mean to be successful? Like, what does it mean to, like, be worthy of something, right? So it's a lot of, I think the other thing, too, is it's, like, a lot of internal work, right? Like, I've had to do a lot of internal work that I'm still doing because it's going to show up in community spaces, right? Like, if if we are, like, not getting how something we're expecting is ableist of ourselves like we're gonna be expecting it in other spaces right we're not gonna see things as harmful um or like even perpetuating um other kinds of dynamics you know mm-hmm. yeah Whew, that was so full of goodness you you like struck a chord with me really deeply when you were talking about uh students and working with young people and just thinking about how yeah like we, we <sighs> You're, there's this expectation of like, this is what, it's literally like it's listed and it's, it's I haven't been teaching that long. I'm sure experienced teachers out here are like, no, you can do it. But like, that is impossible to do all of that in one year for every single student. I don't I, see, especially after the last year, like what, but, and then on top of that, so you've got this sort of, this is what success looks like combined with the reality in the classroom of trying to, you know, I, a lot of us are there because we love young people and we do this out of love and we don't want anyone to fail, but, and you're trying to, to work with folks sort of where they're at and where they're at right now might not be in the classroom. They might've been gone for three weeks. They might be here physically, but definitely not mentally. And then you've got a range of these different abilities with whatever subject you're, and just, and that it's hard. It just is, there's, it's, and I think, and, and there's a joy in the challenge of how do we make this work and how to, and, and, and a shift that I've been making of, I can't do this alone you all like what what do we do you know getting feedback having them help like and I think that that there's these sites that are I I think schools are you know a a huge source of so much ableism and they're a a site of so much creativity and inspiration and hope and I'm seeing that every day and it's really beautiful and I guess so yeah, that's hard for me. I, I I struggle with. I'm someone who likes there to be a simple answer. I like to know what the I want to do it. I math and math was my favorite subject, and now I'm like ah oh, reading all the things. Yeah. So um, but yeah, that that ableism has this sort of it's synonymous with homogeneity, right? If it worked over here, it should work over here, and if it doesn't work over here, there's something wrong with over here, and we should just delete everything, erase your culture, and you should be like this so that it will work. And that's anyways blah. So my brain is like feeling really juicy. I'm wondering though, not trying to say, again, it's not that I'm saying that there is exactly a model. I just realized my mic is very loud because I'm excited. Um, But that, (laughs) oops, it's like all the way up to red. Um, But that you at earlier you had said something about how this mo- this book does some modeling work I think about sharing knowledge I, I don't remember the exact phrasing you had but I, I I was curious if you could say more about what what you meant by that yeah thanks Paige I'm also like whoa my my brain is also firing in many directions because <laughs> of what you just shared like you know and I think like we have to mention like special education right mm-hmm. like how violent that system is um and even like the origins of special education are like when schools were desegregating and people wanted 
there to be ways to still have black kids and white kids separate, right? And they're like, oh, let's just mm. come up with this other thing. Like, you know, white teachers. I did not yeah. know this. Yeah. I yelled again. When I, so when, I first, when I first learned that, I was like, oh, shit. No. I actually learned it in Chicago. Fun fact. I did not know that. <laughs> Fascinating. Okay, I yeah. cut you off. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's okay. No, but just like how important it is and like, you know, connecting that with like mandated reporting, like incarceration, um, how fucked up foster care systems are. Like this is all, and it's like, it can all start because a teacher's like, I think that black child has behavior issues and they should like have this diagnosis and be in that classroom. And then it's like all, like all so many things, right? And and that how that's so common. And I have friends who've been in special education systems and how like as adults, they're still struggling with so much about like the infor- inferiority complex they have because of um, how people treated them. Like, oh, like you can't sit down and take a test in this way, or you need to be in a separate, um, room which like ends up being like babysit like you know it's like all these things and I've like worked with kids with autism in the past and um I was horrified I I was like in my early 20s I was horrified when like I saw that for some like places that were supposed to provide services for kids with autism it was like oh they just the parents just need a break which is like real but it's like also you're saying you're providing services and like educational support but you're really just like putting on a movie so that you can like play on your phone you know and so and just like how that's like such a common um thing like thinking about like the ableism of like those kinds of diagnoses right like like if someone there's like a perceived like peak of what someone can achieve like why even put resources it's not like worth it right like why should um money be uh sent to these programs when this the whole point of students right in school is that to make workers if these people can't work and they instead need benefits what's the point like let's just stick them in a room um so i just had to bring that up um and I kind of forgot what your question. Oh, how was. The, you had mentioned that the book models how to share knowledge. I don't. You said something very specific, and I wrote it down and then deleted it. And then I wrote it again, and I just deleted it again. So something about how the book, <laughs> the book model sharing knowledge, recognizing there are no perfect blueprints for how we're gonna make this world better for everyone. And that good Paige, question? Does that you question also make sense? just. You, you also just modeled it by saying how much you deleted. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, no, for sure. Uh, yeah, and I think um, because like, you know, if you if you read the book, like she's like, Leah's like talking about how she wrote this in one particular year, but here are some like additions or like edits she's added or um, just like, really acknowledging like what her specific experiences have been like her um kind of particular set of like privileges and things that she's like experienced um like oppressive experiences um and structures and uh just like really naming all those things and like i feel like even the way she writes it's very like you know there's no shortcut to like all the isms right like she will name all the isms over and over because it's important like it's not something to just be brushed aside right um and even um 
uh, things like having like an interview. She had an interview with a friend of hers about like crip sex and what crip sex is like and like the good, the bad, the ugly, the real, like that's like what she calls it. And, and just that it's not this like romanticized thing, but it's also like something that disabled people have. Like, you know, it's like all this stuff and, um, and like, you know, like there's no kind of sense of like what's like not, um, what, what am I like respectable enough? There's no sense of like respectability in the book, right? Like, oh, like I can't talk about this stuff. I can't talk about how like, you know, like all the kind of bodily fluid type things that people like get queasy around. It's like, no, these are part of like people's lives, right? Um, uh, like I think about, there's this one example I really want to share. Um, when she's, it's in the chapter, it's in the very beginning, the chapter on care webs and experiments in creating collective access where she kind of um she details different like examples of uh people trying to pr make uh care webs and like networks for people around someone's needs right and um like she shared one person who whose name is Lori erickson and how it was um and this is like a, a white disabled person um who was able to like have like kind of like build a community as a site of like political organizing even as she like um incorporated uh folks to like support her with certain needs to have a schedule to explain like what does it mean to have disability justice politics um and yeah but then like a, a like a, a critique that um uh one of leah's friend had shared with leah was uh a uh, a wheelchair user who's a black femme who shared that you know i'm glad Lori's model works for her but it's some if someone drops me if someone doesn't show up for a shift i can die i don't ever want to depend on being liked or loved by the community for the right to shit in my toilet when i want to right and that has really stuck with me that's on page 47 um that has really stuck with me um because that's so prevalent in all of our spaces, right? Like how much likability is like, you know, you can't parse that away from um, anti-blackness, from fat phobia, from um, like all these different things, right? And how, and it's also like based on like the type of disability. And like, there's plenty of reasons for disabled folks to not want to like have to explain certain, you know, like all these things, but it's like, because this, this particular white person was like, you know, very social and like would like have networks in whichever um, city she traveled to for her work. Like she was able to really cultivate this, but how that's a very rare thing. And it's actually very isolating for most folks. Um, just wanted to highlight that. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I'm so I'm, I'm getting starting to get sad because we are running out of time and there are so many things I want to talk about still. Maybe we'll have to do a part two, um, but <laughs> but I I want to shift to talking about you know what one of your biggest takeaways from this book was. Uh, I know for me, uh, yeah, I've read the book. I I've read it many times, and one uh, piece that sticks with me is not only the Crip Art of Failure piece, but also that like access is not um, it's not an outcome; it's a process. And that's something that stuck out for me, especially uh, around 
Leah's friend and another disability justice uh, organizer who we recently passed, uh, Stacy Milburn, who who really, you know, I have this quote underlined. Disabled people are so much more than our access needs. We can't have a movement without safety and access. And yet there is still so much more still waiting for us collectively once we build the skill set of negotiating access needs with each other. And I, I love that piece because, you know, can, like Stacy's basically just saying, can we take access needs seriously so we can make room for like what's beyond this? You know, like can we just get these basic things down right and and not even I don't even want to say basic because access needs are different for everybody and it's 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 a it's a, it's an ongoing process right but if we can't even understand the importance of cap live captions on on virtual events if we can't make spaces accessible with ramps if we can't do those things there's just so much more beyond that that disabled organizers and disabled people and disabled artists have to offer us and 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 each other it, it's mind-blowing to think of of the the amount of uh visions and magic that are there that we're not able to get to yet uh, and so for me, that was one of my biggest takeaways, which is how access is this is a process, and it's not something you can just have check marks, check boxes, right? Like we were talking about earlier, like the disability justice principles. You can't you can't just check those off and then you've done it. You've done disability justice, right? It's it's a constant uh, it's a constant process. But I would love to hear from you, Hina, what it was one of your biggest takeaways from this book. Yeah, I'm also sad that our conversation's <laughs> ending soon. <laughs> I didn't realize I could talk so much. Or maybe I should have realized that. Whoops. <laughs> Not self-aware. Should have realized that you yeah. are brilliant and yeah. you have so much yes. to offer us. And so <laughs> we are so, so thankful. Thank you, uh, if Leah, if you're listening. Thank you for, for writing this book and for making this space to, to have this conversation. Yeah, I think... Um, I think the biggest takeaway this book is like like really like related to how it's like impacted like my organizing I'd say um just like yeah like the fact that there's like no shortcuts to this stuff there's no um checklist and that it's like about so much of like unlearning what like like are often like the cliche or like 101 models of political organ like campaign work right like all about urgency all about like who can be out in the streets who can do long hours of work and like all this stuff and how how that drives so many folks away and like or like doesn't even allow space for so many folks um and how it how that in itself is like so often disabling right like so many like there are people i know who've were like so burnt out and harmed like you know either like sexual violence harassment burnout like white supremacist kind of dynamics um in the movement spaces that even if they weren't any white people there right like we know that's not like the only thing that's like what supremacy is about but <laughs> just that like that itself like made like like you know like they were like i need to take care of my body and my mind and my spirit and i actually cannot do this work anymore right like we 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 know as organizers like how rare it is to see like older older organizers right like there are so many folks who are like 
I need to leave and like, you know, like all these things and yeah, it's, it's heavy. Um, and I, and I just like really, you know, like I, and I, and I think like an aspect of that too is like incorporating joy. Like I think about like the spaces that I'm in and not, I mean, yeah, in a corny way, I'm trying not to be corny, but corniness isn't bad. Like I should be like, it's, it's great. <laughs> corniness is great. Yeah. Like just the idea of like, you know, things being fun and like rejoicing and like what would like be like an intergenerational space where people have their elders, their aunties and like their kids and like daycare and um, all this stuff. Right. And and I think it's like really so hard, even this book is literally called Care Work. And I think it's so hard for people to be like, so cooking meals for community or like providing food for our folks, like that's organizing. I don't know. Oh, I don't, that's political work. I don't know about that. Like, it's so hard for folks to like, you know, or like having some kind of like celebration of like some kind of um you know, like whatever, anything, you could celebrate nothing. Like the point is to just like, you know, create spaces that people want to be in that like, like, uh, yes. nourish your, feed your spirit, feed your soul. Um, and like related to that, I wanted to, oh, actually my passage I'm going to read later is kind of related to that, but I'll, I won't, I won't, uh, spoil it, but yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we're about to do the passage. So but, but before we get there, so hold it in our brains. We're going to hold that. Um, before we have you close out with their favorite passage, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us before you wrap up knowing this is only the beginning and we only went surface deep? What Anything else you want to share? Can I like share like a list of like resources and like different folks that like I like are currently doing so much work, whether it's on Twitter or like, you know, all these things that I've just like appreciate so much. And, you know, they're not in the form of a book, right? But like the fact that people are just constantly like having these conversations, developing tools and strategies. And like, you know, there's a lot of folks who don't get, um, you know, like there's someone um, named Estelle Ellison, who's an, an anarchist black uh disabled person who um goes by abolish time on social media like i learned so much from them and it's like very like um sharp critiques on like trans misogynoir and ableism and like all this stuff right i also there's a zine called sick of it that's um uh it's a collaboration with uh, between inside outside folks where it includes um uh, writing by disabled incarcerated folks um, and it's also like a conversation so it's like disabled folks on both sides um, communicating each other building relationships um, and like disabled pen pals being matched together with disabled incarcerated like there's like so many things that are going on and people are experimenting with that I just really want to share them with y'all um, yeah there's like a lot more <laughs> okay yes cool. please do Definitely. Definitely. Yes. So folks who are listening, if you have not read Care Work by uh, Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samarasina, please go out and get the book now. Um, support your local independent bookstore. Um, and Hina, thank you for your time. And I'm so glad that we made this work. Their time is a charm. I also love that there's, there, you know, folks can't see this, but Paige has a cat, Mama Oats, who was like, 
was like ready to talk on the mic at one point. Um, Hina has this little Shih Tzu dog that's like curled up in their lap. Um, I don't have any pets around me. I think my my cat is with my partner in another room. But uh, <laughs> so just wanted to like name like so that cuteness. But surrounded, you're surrounded by plants. There's so much mm-hmm. life everywhere. Yeah, I'm surrounded by plants. That's, yes. that's right. I have plants here. Um, well, thank you so much, Hina. We want to close out this our episode. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I'm so happy. Uh, we want to close out our episode uh, with just hearing one of your favorite passages from the book, and then we'll end there. So take it away, Hina. Yeah, thank you again for having me, y'all. Uh, so this is from the chapter for Badass Disability Justice, Working Class, and Poor-Led Models of Sustainable Hustling for Liberation. And this is a reference to a piece that y'all may be familiar with um, that went pretty viral in 2012. Um, it's B. Lowe's piece called An End to Self-Care. And B. Lowe is a white, non-binary, able-bodied labor organizer. Um, uh, so I'm going to read two paragraphs. Sure, movements can be healing, but are they many, many broke folks? parents and or disabled folks who have been forced out of movements would say no. What disability justice and healing justice talks about and asks is, are they really? Or are they set up in burnout models that destroy folks' physical and spiritual health? And I think that's a big part of what movements I'm part of do to make movements that aren't shitty is centering disabled, working class, and poor parenting and femme of color genius. Burnout isn't just about not having a deep enough analysis. It's about movements that are deeply ableist and inaccessible. And I mean, y'all should just read the whole thing, but continue a few paragraphs down is, let's tease it out further. When my friends who use power wheelchairs need a personal care attendant many times a day to pee and transfer from bed to chair, is that self-care? It's not commonly thought of that way, but it's part of the whole continuum of bodily need that gets trashed as a pain in the ass by an ableist world. Lowe writes, I have literally gone from being a debilitating pain and only being able to accomplish three hours of work each day to working 18-hour shifts the same week in a completely different context. The difference was not the conditions of my work. It was my connection to my purpose. End quote. I'm glad that works for them. But as a friend of mine remarked, Okay, that method does not work for some of us. Some of us are in debilitating pain no matter what. And to say that we can just be more deeply committed to the struggle and leave our disabilities behind is an incredibly dangerous, ableist stance to take. That also just plain ignores the reality that some people are just disabled and can't think or organize our way to able-bodiedness. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Lit Review, a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about a book that has shaped their organizing work. We are your co-hosts, Monica Trinidad and Paige May, two Chicago-based abolitionists, cultural workers, and cat mamas who love nerding out on books and creating spark notes for our movements. Production this season is by Benji Russellberg. Intro music is by David Ellis with production by Ari Mejia and social media support from Alicia Camel. If you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And if you like our podcast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to help widen our reach. Financial support for the production of this podcast season is thanks to the Field Foundation of Illinois and our amazing Patreon subscribers. Learn more about becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thelitreview. Keep reading. Thank you.